If you would, please turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we've been moving through this book for uh, some time now. And uh, to me, it just keeps getting richer and richer, deeper. And um, Peter is bringing out some just wonderful points to the Christian life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved... I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word how good it is, how much it nourishes our hearts, our lives. Um, And we thank you for the privilege of being able to meet together and study and uh, allow our minds to be washed in its uh, pureness. I pray, Lord, for understanding, for clarity, for illumination. And... um, Then we pray for application. Help us to apply these things to our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter is turning his attention now in this book to how to live the Christian life. It's it's a pivotal moment there where he has summed up what God has done. We looked at this last week. He summed up what God has done for us in moving us from darkness to light. He's called into existence a people for his own self and his uh, for his own name. And then he's given us mercy. We saw that last week. And, and now he gets practical and he answers, asks the question, what do we do now? How do we live this life? Now, he's been making little applications as he goes along throughout the first chapter, first couple of chapters. But now he's turned his attention to the issue of living the Christian life. The issue of applying what we, uh, what God has done. And, and the question is, where do we start? This is a big thing. And the starting point is, is very important. We've all faced projects before that um, maybe it's a new project that it's, uh, at first it's just overwhelming to you and you, you just don't know where to start. You think, where, you know, how do you begin this? I know at the beginning of every semester in college, you look at the syllabus and you think, wow, how am I going to get all this done? And sometimes even just uh, coming in on Monday morning from uh, from the, a long weekend or from a weekend and you look at all that you have to do this week and you say, how am I going to get it done? It's overwhelming. We understand. We understand that. Um, when I was a child, when I was a kid, my mom would send me to my room and say, clean your room. Well, my room was a mess. There's stuff everywhere, clothes and toys. And and I would think, where where do you start? Well, the first thing I'd pick up, I'd just start playing. And usually two hours later, she'd come back in and, and just yell at me and usually give me a spanking. So, sometimes it's hard to know where to start, but the beginning point, the starting point, is important. Where you start. Most things it's not. But when it comes to the Christian life, it is. 
Because the same thing can happen in the Christian life. We look at the Christian life and we see all that God has given to us and we say, we scratch our heads and say, what do we do with this? And God has been gracious to us. He has given us a new life, a new eternal destiny, new family, new purpose, new responsibilities, a new heart, a new drive. What do you do with that? Starting place is important. You start at the beginning. Uh, sometimes if we don't start at the beginning, then we're not going to have success. There's a, uh, a story you probably know of Frank uh, Abagnale. He was, uh, they made a movie about his life uh, called Catch Me If You Can. And uh, in his late teenage years, uh, 16, I, I think is when he, he started this, he began to pretend to be things that he was not. He pretended to be a teacher at first, and then a, a doctor, and a lawyer, and a pilot. And eventually he was caught, but he, he wanted to start at the top. And now he was a smart enough kid that if he would have applied himself to school and college and, and law school or uh, you know, all the medical school, all the things that he wanted to do, he probably could have done those things, but he, he wanted to start up here, wanted to just bypass that, and he actually became a failure. They caught him and he spent time in prison because he started at the wrong place. The starting point is important. We, we don't start as mature believers, but we want to get there. How do we get there? And in this passage, I believe you see two principles of the Christian life that kind of overshadow every all the other elements of the Christian life as, as a starting point. It's kind of the core application of applying salvation to our life. All that God has done for us, we, we're applying it these two ways first. And Peter's moving from the new life to new living. We need to understand that. And here's the, the principle is of first importance in the Christian life is holiness. We start with personal holiness. Now, now this is not external holiness. This is not just something that we're just putting on um, and looking holy. But this is real holiness, genuine holiness. Holiness that starts from the inside, from the, the fruit of the Spirit kind of holiness is produced inside, and then it begins to be seen outside, and it has its effects. This is genuine, true holiness. Now, where do we start, then, living this new Christian life? Peter gives two commands, two commands, and I want you to notice these. But it's as though he's kind of playing off of what a verse that he did at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 2, verse 2, He says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. That's the starting point. Having that nutrition coming into your soul, feeding our soul. That's what, that's the starting point. And these two just kind of blossom, these two commands just kind of blossom out of that. He builds on these, this, that, uh, bringing the word into our lives. To inner growth and then to external behavior. These two commands. The first command is in verse 11. He says this. Beloved. Friends. Dear friends. He loves these people as as believers. And he says, I urge you. I, I come alongside you. I put my arm around you. 
as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. First command, abstain from fleshly lust. Now, the word lust here really could be any any kind of lust, any desire. Um, it could be good desires, bad desires. Uh, Paul said, I desire, I strongly desire to see your face. That He wrote to the Thessalonians. He wanted to see them. He, he said, I desire to depart and, and be with Christ. Those are strong desires that, that uh, Paul had. Now, those are good desires. But even good desires sometimes can, can overshadow or uh, be stronger motivation in our life than our love for God. So we have to be careful of desires. Desires. But these are fleshly desires that Peter is talking about here. If you go over to James chapter 1, kind of flesh this out a little bit. James chapter 1 verse 14. He says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So there's something within us. It's our own lust. It's our own, and the word is desires. Our own desires can lead us astray. We're enticed by those. Then when lust is conceived, when those desires are conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's the end point. Starts with just the desires in our heart. Go back uh, to verse uh, chapter four, verse one. James chapter four, verse one. He, he he kind of picks up on this same idea. What is the source of quarreling and and conflicts among you? Is it not is not the source of your own pleasure? Again, that's that's what you what you want. Those desires within you that wage war against your members. So again, the terminology there is that. This, your desires are waging war against your members of your body. You lust and do not have because you, uh, so you commit murder. You, you have these desires and you can't attain them and, and so you just, you commit murder. At least in your heart, you hate that person. You have envies, uh, you are envious and cannot attain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ha- you ask with wrong motives so that you may, may spend it on your own pleasure, on your pleasure. Again, there's your desires. The desires, the lust are, are important. And these are lusts of the flesh. These are lusts that are tied to the flesh. If you plant... Apple seeds, you're going to get apples. If you plant, um, if you plant peach seeds, you're going to get peaches. If you plant seeds according to the flesh, you're going to get fleshly results. And what you see in scripture, there's a, there's a contrast, there's a, a comparison. Well, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. But I, I want you to just notice that, that these sexual desires or these fleshly desires are not just sexual. These fleshly desires are not just sexual. Now, they can be sexual desires. They lead us in that direction. These can be desires of, of choosing what gender. Oh, I want to be that gender. Now, that's a desire. It starts out with a desire and it goes in the wrong direction. It could be the kind of desire found in Genesis, kind, Genesis chapter 4 
where the, uh, as a result of sin, Eve, Eve is now going to desire to be over her husband. That's the idea. To play a role that God has not called her to play. And there's a desire in her heart. It's a fleshly desire. It's a wrong desire. Or there's desires for control. There's desires for, for power. The desires for be, to be accepted. I want to be accepted. I want to be respected. Or sometimes a desire to be left alone. Sometimes lazy. We don't want to, we want to shirk responsibilities. Uh, desires, jealousy and hatred and, and desires for wealth. We, we understand fleshly desires. Now here's the deal. We've got to face those fleshly desires. We've got to look at ourselves and say, what drove me to do that? Or what am I thinking? What do I really want? And you narrow it down. You look at those desires and, and then you, you kill those desires. You get rid of those desires. In fact, go back to our passage in First Peter. He says to abstain from those desires. Abstain from fleshly lust. We can abstain from them. We can say no to them. The idea is to, to pull back or to distance ourselves. We, it's just self-discipline. We say no to them. Now the question is, why in this world would we abstain? The, the, the word abstinence is, is not a very popular word today. We want immediate gratification. And why in the world would I tell myself no? Why would I deny myself anything? Why would I delay any kind of gratification? When I, when I have happiness within my reach, I'm going to grab it. Right? That's our world today. And Paul is saying, no, you better say no to those fleshly lusts. Now, he gives us two reasons why. Two reasons why we, we have to say no to fleshly lust. Go back to our passage, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. There's the first reason. We're aliens and strangers here on, on this earth. Um, the word aliens there is, is the, um, alongside the house is, is literally what it means. It's, it's, you got, uh, the, the, the person's house and then somebody's alongside them, coming alongside them. They're not really part of their house. And it, this word was used for foreigners that would come into the land of, of Israel. Um, and now it's, it, it's being used as believers. As believers, we do not belong to this world's system. We just don't. Um, but we live alongside it. This isn't our home. We're the ones out of place here. Now... Again, turn over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, this passage that was read for us earlier, at least the, the one verse, chapter 13 and verse 14. I love this verse. Um, he says, for here we do not have a lasting city. Wow, that's pretty clear. The author of Hebrews gets it. We don't really have a, a lasting country, folks. We don't have a, a country that's going to suit us. We don't. I know we'd like to think that, but we just don't. But, he says, but we are seeking a city which is to come. Now, that's our hope. That's our focus. Our focus is on a different king with different rules. It's not tied to this earthly system at at all. So we can't feel comfortable. We shouldn't feel comfortable here. 
uh, turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, again, the passage that was read there. These these godly men and women of the faith, they, they didn't have a, a home here. Verse 13, he says, All these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them and heard and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they are strangers and aliens on this earth. They never, they never got it. They never got what they wanted. We are, as Christians, are not really going to get what we desire, folks. So there's, there's going, there's an element of Christian life is just saying, no, we're not going to have it. We're not in heaven yet. And that's Paul's, or Peter's point here is that, um, let me, one more verse in Hebrews 12, 28. Again, a good verse. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. We live a life of gratitude. We, we, we will receive someday a kingdom that will not be shaken, cannot be shaken. So we live now a life of, of faith. Not just self-gratification. I'm going to get everything that I want. No, we, we're going to delay that. And we're going to let God fulfill our needs now. And we're going to look at, to Him. A couple of other passages that I just can't pass up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's how we are to live then. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Um, he says, uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophies and empty deceits, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world. We don't live by those elementary principles of the world. And in verse 20, he goes down to, uh, he says this, if you have died with Christ, now that's the key, if you have died with Christ, to the elementary principles of this world. The world has a, a completely different system. We don't adhere to that system. And what we see though is, is Satan who is in control of this earth, this earth is under a curse, it is being controlled by Satan, um, it is passing away, it is filled with Sinners, what we see is that we are completely out of, out of place here and, and we don't cater to the elementary principles of the world. Our mind is set on something else. Now, have you ever been in, in a swimming pool and as soon as you, you jumped in or maybe you didn't see it before you, you jumped in, you, you realized this is a dirty pool, right? You know, you maybe you can feel the, the little skim of oil at the top, or you see floaties around and things, and the, and you just think, I want out. This is dirty. That, that's the way we, we are here in this, this life, folks. This isn't our pool. We shouldn't feel comfortable here. This isn't our home. We set our minds on, and our hearts on something, and we live by faith towards something that we haven't seen yet. This is all temporary right now. Our lives do not revolve around the gratitude of the flesh in this life. Okay? We don't live our lives or revolve our lives around the gratitude of the flesh, but we live our lives around pleasing God. So here's what we do. We hold our desires out. 
And say, God, this is what I'd like. But not my will be done, but your will be done. And that's the posture of the believer. We have a different king, a different kingdom that we are uh, a different king that we're pleasing, a different uh, kingdom that we uh, that is ruling over us. We live by faith. Another reason that we refrain from go back to our first Peter passage. Another reason that we refrain from um, fleshly lust is because he says this to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. Now, folks, I don't have to explain too much before you realize this is serious. It's waging war against our soul. And that's the most important thing. This is eternal destiny kind of stuff. What is what is Peter talking about here? In Galatians chapter 5, we see the, the major conflict in the Christian's life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse, 17, verse 16, we'll start there. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Notice his terminology. There's, there's two things. There's the, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit working with my spirit that has changed me, and then I'm combating the flesh. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and, and is helping me. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the thing you please. You may not do those desires that you have. Because those desires, they're tied to the flesh. And there's a, there's a battle going on. A conflict going on. Fighting. Um, there's a, there's a picture that I saw of the Civil War battle. I believe it was Gettysburg. And, and they said that the, there was so much fighting going on, so many bullets flying through the air at the same time, that they've, they found two bullets that hit each other in mid-flight, in, in the air. That's a battle. There's two things in the life of the believer. You've got this flesh that he's fighting against in his own spirit. And the Holy Spirit obviously is, is helping there. And there's a battle going on. And that battle is raging, and it should rage. We're killing that flesh. Again, in Hebrews, um, I think the author gets it here. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. He uh, tells us this. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Take care, brother. Notice the the, uh, concern here. Take care, brother, that there not be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart now what's that battle what's that battle what's going on in that battle it's going to reveal one thing it's going to reveal either that heart has been changed by god is a new heart or that heart is an unbelieving heart and, and so he says let's just take care be careful an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living god eventually that unbelieving heart's going to fall away now, he says, verse 13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called day, so that 
none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has that ability to stay in the heart and kind of remain in the heart. And like I said in Sunday school, we kind of feed it under the table and that lust gets bigger and bigger and, and stronger and stronger. He says, don't do that. He says, so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, that's just essentially exposing that heart. This is an unbelieving heart, or is this a a, a good heart, a, a renewed heart? He goes on to say, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance until the end. There's a There's a perseverance to the saints. There's a perseverance in the Christian life that we pursue uh, righteousness. And that battle rages. And that battle is a good thing, folks. If we stop fighting, sin will win. If we don't struggle there with the flesh, if we don't persevere, we will be overcome by sin. And, and, and that little battle that we think is not that big of a deal. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just my lust. I can, I can do a little bit. I can feed it a little bit. No, it, it, that sin will take hold and, and it will harden that heart and that struggle. If that struggle dies, it shows the, the capacity of the heart. It shows if this is a new heart with new capacities. It shows, it reveals if, um, who is the master of that heart. It shows that if this heart is a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, this battle that's raging in the believer, it exposes, it reveals whether God has really worked in that heart. It reveals false motives. Pure motives. It reveals wheat and tares, sheep and goats. If we stop struggling, folks, with sin, we will die. But that's the mentality we have to have. Now we know that God undergirds us and, and He's the one that strengthens us. He's the one that has to do it. It's not us. But we still battle. Paul, in his maturity, wrote Romans chapter 7. And in that, uh, in that passage, you see struggling. And he was a mature believer, but he was still struggling with his, with his own heart. He was still saying, no, if we stop hating sin, sin wins. We still battle it within our own flesh. Within our own flesh. Now, there's a couple of points of application that we want to make. Peter's talking about spiritual growth here. And holy, holiness is the most important. Holiness is the most important. This battle in the heart. And, and we, we kill the flesh. We starve it out. We have, to, we have to do that. We're dealing with that heart. You say, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, first, you look at the source, right? And I've had to do this in my own life and say, Carl, why are you struggling with this? What is, you, what is it that you really want? What is it that you really desire? Sometimes, if we don't, if we don't answer that question, folks, we're just going to be swept along. If we don't ask, where's the source of this conflict coming from? And it's some desire, some, I want respect. I want control. I want my will to be done. And we have to deal with that in the heart, at the heart level. So what do we do? Second step, we identify it. First step. Second step, we, we repent. 
Lord, change this heart. I don't like this heart. I repent of sinful desires. And then we kill that. We abstain. We abstain from that. We don't love that sin. Now, I, I want you to notice, too, that Peter is not giving us, and this is amazing to me. I just noticed this. If you go back to the Peter passage, Peter is not giving us. He doesn't say, okay, here's all that God has done for you. Now, let me prepare you as a church, as, new, as God's new uh, entity. Um, let me prepare you for world domination. Or let me prepare you for political maneuvering or how to be the best influence to this, to this world and, and to, uh, or, or even on a, on a church structural level. He didn't go into that. He doesn't go into the organization as, okay, let's get all the leaders here and all the, uh, the, the those with the God-given gift of, God-given gift of administration and, and you guys are going to take the church into the next generation and that kind of stuff. No, Peter's concern is purity in an individual life because it's going to affect the whole church. But that's where he starts, purity. We have to deal with sin. It's like a, a cancer within the body, in the body of Christ. And, and Peter's concern most of all is purity, purity. So we need to understand true holiness, folks, is not just something that we place on our life. It's changed from within, dealing with that heart. We need to, we need to understand that. It's not just, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to, to do this or, or do that. That means that no one can make you holy. I can't make you holy. I, if I, man, as a pastor, I would love to be able to just make you holy. But I can't. You have to deal with that heart. And it has to be inside and it has to grow out. It has to come from within. It's not a bunch of rules, stuff that we put ourselves on. Number two, let's go back to our passage. Number two, second command from Peter is we keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior excellent, verse 12, among the Gentiles, that's the unbeliever, so that in the thing in which they slander you, and they will slander you, they will come against you as evildoers. Now, that's the way they see us as evildoers. They're slandering us. Oh, you guys are in the wrong. And they did that even in the Roman world. Uh, one illustration of that is uh, they, they accused the church of being atheists because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods. Okay? Isn't that amazing how the world can shift things that we're, we're the atheists and, you know, I see our world today is, is changing, folks. And good is going to be called evil and evil is going to be called good. We're going to be called evildoers. But they may, they may, because of your good deeds, they see our life, they see what we do, as they observe them, and they will observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. When Christ comes, they're going to look and say, yeah, you know what? That, that righteous life, that life right there was the way I was supposed to live. And they're going to glorify God. And what is the command? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. It's inevitable. It's, they're going to sling mud at us, but it shouldn't stick. 
Because people are going to see, hey, you know, that righteous man, that guy right there that's doing all this, you're, you're accusing him of this? That doesn't really hold up. The word excellent here is good. Uh, it just means good. But uh, a more literal translation means beautiful. Okay? Beautiful uh, of outward form. What people, what people see. MacArthur uh, goes on to, to say that there's six English words that, uh, that uh, offer insight to the meaning here. And he gives us the six. Lovely, fine, winsome. Gracious, fair to look at, and noble. Those are all good things. But the idea is, it's, it's behavior essentially that appeals to the, the moral judgment of the world. So meaning, they see us, and, and what they say is, you know what? That's the way life is to be lived. That's the way we are to, to live life. That's what we are to, to do. I don't care what you say about him. He's got something different there. That's a righteous life. That's the way life is to be lived. One commentary says, The loveliest kind of visible visible goodness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you probably see these on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Uh, we are to give no offense to the unbeliever. We're, we're to please all men in everything. That's pretty strong. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, we conduct ourselves with wisdom. Boy, we're going to need that, aren't we? Conduct ourselves with wisdom toward the outsider. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 6, we're to, to live a quiet and peaceable life. We're praying for the unbeliever. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're to have a good reputation. The, the elders to have a good reputation to the unsaved world. And in Titus chapter 3, we're to be preparing ourselves for good deeds. But there's one passage that I have to read. And that's Titus chapter 2. And you know this well. And I have to read this because this is the picture. This is what they see. He's talked about the older men in verse 2. Titus chapter 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God is not dishonored. See what's at stake there? Word of God. Likewise, young men. Or to be sensible in all things. Showing yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech. Which is beyond reproach. So that, here's the, here's the reason, so that the opponents will be put to shame. Having nothing bad to say about us. They, they see a, a picture and they think, wow, they're doing it right. That's the way we are to, to live, folks. There's nothing more powerful than a righteous life. There's a missionary, there's told, a story told of missionaries. I love these people. I haven't even met them. But Herb and Ruth uh, Klingen, uh, they are missionaries to Japan. World War II, 
They were put in a prison camp for three years, and they had their son with them. The prison guard hated them. The, the, um, the warden, he would only give them enough corn that uh, just to sustain life. In fact, it would be just enough corn. They would have to grind this corn themselves. And, and the energy that they would take to grind, and grinding this corn would be more energy than they would, than they would get out of the corn by eating corn. And so they just, they just, uh, they just lived at the death level all the time for about three years. Eventually they were let go. The Allied forces came in. They were they were freed. Eventually, they saw this this prison warden later, and he had become a Christian. And he says, "It's because of that life that I saw that that Christian couple." And he gave his life to to Christ. The power of a life lived for Christ. You say, "Why do we keep our behavior excellent among the?" Unbeliever, because folks, it becomes the platform for the gospel. They see that life, and and then the next thing they hear is the the, the word of God, and it it even has more power to change a life. We make Christ attractive to a pagan world because God gets the glory for our own life, not us. We just demonstrate hope. And that points to God. We display beauty, a beauty that can't be bought by money. And that points to God. It points to God's power to change a life. Is your life distinct from the world? I have to ask myself that question. Is my life distinct? Do my words, are my words distinct? Or just do I use the, the slang and the profanity of the world? Do I have the same desires as the world? Or do I have distinct desires? The world's desires is hate and, and jealousy and, and revenge. Or do I live under grace and forgiveness? Or do I have joy-filled life? Or do I live the world kind of life of just frustration of all the things that goes wrong in our life? Do I live an anxious-filled life like the world, or do I live a life of hope-filled? Do I, do I have the same thought processes as the world does? Or, or is my thought processes informed by Scripture? Have there's, has there been a renewing of my mind? Folks, those things make us distinct from the world. Let me ask you this, and this is a, I was just wondering if this is a good test. I don't know if it is, but do commercials work on you? You watch these commercials, do they work on you? Do you say, man, that's really cool. I want to be like that person. Do they really work? Now, I'm not saying that that's the test for Christianity. But now you have to ask, what distinguishes us? Do we just, are we just being led about by Satan like the rest of the world? God, He works in our heart, inside out. He works from the very level of the heart. And He, he gives us new desires and new motives and new intentions. And, and then we, we have to struggle sometimes, but the, we work them out in our life. And that's when the world sees them and say, that is beautiful. 
That's the way life is to be lived. And the world sees that. And, and we have the platform then for the gospel to come in and change a life. Holiness is first and foremost in the Christian life. It is. It's, it's utmost importance for us to, to discipline ourselves. You say, what difference does it make? It makes difference, folks. It does. God says it does. When was the last time you evaluated yourself? And this summer, this sermon has, has made me do that. Evaluate myself. God in His grace, God in His loving kindness, His patience toward us, He can use holy servants. He can use those lives that are given over to Him to do what He has called us to do, even in enemy territory, folks. And I tell you, it seems like it's getting darker and darker and we're, we're going more and more into enemy territory. But God can use us as strangers and aliens. We focus on holiness. Focus on holiness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I... Just thank you for your word and, and really the clarity of your word. It's a very simple, simple passage, two commands. Oh Lord, it's not easy to do. We have to evaluate our own selves and our own motives. We have to be honest with ourselves and, and just think about why we do what we do. And we have to ask, are we just playing this Christian life or, or are we going to take it seriously? Are we going to be holy? Or are we going to let that cancer come into our own lives and, and eventually into the church? And Lord, keep us holy. Keep us holy on the heart level. So that the world can see our lives and glorify you. Because you get the credit for changing us. We would be like everybody else. But Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and grace and mercy in our life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.